Let's go ahead and take our Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Ephesians. We have been in Ephesians all day today, pretty much, from Sunday school on, and um, the the book was written uh, because the church at Ephesus, even though they were saved and had the doctrine of salvation settled, they they did not seem to be growing very much and um, did not understand fully, and in some places, some people believe that they were even ignorant of perhaps some of the things that God gave to them when He saved them. And I think this this actually holds true, I think, even in our lives sometimes, that we don't fully understand all that God gives us when we get saved. And so he deals with, uh, in the first three chapters of Ephesus, he deals with uh, some doctrinal issues of things that Christ gives to us by way of gifts, when we get saved, and because of these things that have been given to us, uh, we should then live uh, a victorious Christian life, and he gives 35 imperatives, if you will, or instructions in chapters 4 through 6 of very practical ways that they are to live their life as they grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, things they are not to do, things they are to do. And they're very, very practical things that do you well probably to read those three chapters at least and learn from them. But Paul uses, as he so often does uh, in, his, in his letters, uh, a, a format of, of laying a foundation and then uh, drawing a conclusion from it that uh, is, is a solid foundation because, uh, or a solid conclusion because the foundation has been laid for it. And so I'm going to give you, um, I don't know, I've got maybe 12 or so, 14 things maybe, um, that are found in the first three chapters of Ephesus of things that God does for you and I as Christians when we get saved. These are the doctrinal foundational stones, things we can anchor ourselves to that ought to dictate our behavior. And as we said earlier, uh, Paul shows both here in Ephesians, he expresses it quite clearly in the book of Romans, that... Um, uh, our blessings are not what our, our our behavior is not what dictates God's blessings God's blessings in our lives, but rather it ought to be God's blessings in our life that dictate our behavior. And I think we get that backwards so many times. We feel like uh, our behavior is what causes God to give us blessings. Now, if our behavior is not right, it may be what causes God to hold blessings from us, but it is certainly not what causes God to give us blessings. We don't have merit. We don't have, we don't, God doesn't look at our lives and say, boy, Greg did a good thing, here's a treat for him. Uh, that's not the way God looks at it. Uh, we, have, we have nothing to bring to the Lord Jesus Christ, literally nothing. And the, the blessings of God that he gives to us are because of his grace and his grace alone. It is not because we have earned them, it's not because of our merit. And so our, our behavior ought to be based on... Uh, the blessings of God that God has done for us. And so that's what Paul does here. He takes the first three chapters. He says, look, here's the things God's done for you in salvation. These are the blessings he's given to you. In light of those, chapter 4, verse number 1, therefore, because of these things, now let's live this way. Let, let the blessings of God be what affects our behavior. And I think so often, uh, we even in our Christian service, if we're not careful, 
we will get to the place where we do so out of obligation and rather than out of a motivation of love. The Bible, Paul tells, this, tells us this, that it's the love of Christ that constrained him to do the things that he did, to serve, to serve and to live the way that he did. And, and that, that's where the joy of the Christian life comes in. Uh, if we can't do it out of love and out of, out of a, a heart of gratitude for his blessings to us, we ought to at least do it out of respect because it's right. Uh, but I don't think the joy comes there. That's not where we get the satisfaction of fulfillment in the Christian life. Uh, the great joy of the Christian life is when we serve not because we have to, but because we get to. We look at it as a privilege, not as an obligation. But uh, let's take a, a, um, a look at several things here. Uh, a number of times uh, in this book, Paul will use the phrase, in Christ, or something very similar to that. In other words, we have this in Christ. We have this in Christ. And he does this about 35 times or so in this book. He'll use this phrase over and over again. We're not going to look at all of those, but I'm going to look at several of them today. Let's start in verse number 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are, in, uh, which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful, notice this, in Christ Jesus, those that are faithful in Christ Jesus. One of the greatest blessings that you and I have uh, is the fact that we are in Christ Jesus. Uh, by faith, we are in Christ Jesus. And I said it earlier that um, one of the great blessings of the Christian life, only second to our salvation, is that we can be strengthened by the might of the Holy Spirit in the inner man, that that's a blessing that God gives to us. But there's no doubt that the greatest blessing all of us experience is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the opportunity to be in Him, to be His child, to trust Him as our Savior, to have our salvation. <coughs> so he starts, off, he starts off establishing this. These that are faithful in Christ Jesus, those that have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who Paul's writing to. And so he's going to teach them some things uh, that are beyond just getting uh, our ticket to heaven and our escape from hell. And I think sometimes if we're not careful when it comes to our salvation, we think that that's an end in and of itself. Uh, but there are so many other things that take place here. Let's look as we read on down. He says in verse 2, Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that we get in addition to our salvation, in addition to gaining heaven and having our sins forgiven and escaping the penalty of sin, which was hell, one of the things he gives us is found here in verse number 3. And again, he's trying to remind the church in Ephesus, there's so many things that God has done for you in addition to your salvation, that, that these things ought to motivate you to live a holy life and a life that is in the, in the new man and after the Spirit and not after the old man and in the flesh. So the, the, the first thing we find in addition to our salvation is found in three in verse number 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, notice this, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And God gives us the privilege on this side of heaven to have a taste of some of the things that uh, we may have and experience in heaven. He gives us, uh, the Bible tells us here, He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Because of our faith being placed in Him, not only do we have salvation, but we have opportunities on this side of heaven to experience some of the great joy of the Christian life. Paul refers to them here as heavenly places. 
uh, opportunities, situations, maybe times of fellowship, maybe in a church service, uh, maybe in a private devotional time, uh, or a time spent walking with the Lord. You just sense the presence of God so real, it feels like you're almost sitting in heaven itself. And I'm thankful that God gives us one of these, uh, op- or some of these opportunities on this side of heaven. It, it helps to encourage us through some of the darkest days of our lives, doesn't it? To help us know these things. But this is one of the things that those that have trusted Him as Savior get to experience. He gives us opportunities uh, to be blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And then here again, He uses this phrase, in Christ. So only by our faith in Him do we get to experience these things. The next one is found in verse number 4. According as He hath chosen us in Him uh, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him, in love, and so the second thing, or the second thing that is in addition to our foundation of salvation, is that He has chosen us. Now, what has He chosen us for? We spoke about this a couple of Wednesday nights ago. This is not dealing here with chosen to be saved. Notice the context of the verse, as He says in verse four, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what holy and without blame before Him in love. That we are to live a life of holiness. This is one of the things that He puts in the hearts of Christians. To have a desire, to have a hunger and a thirst for that which is righteous, that which is holy. Uh, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And I don't know about you, but when the day came that we got saved, and it may have happened in a moment, it may have hit us like a ton of bricks, or it may have just been a continuous growth from the moment of a salvation. It happens differently for different people and at different rates. But uh, you, can, you can rest assured that everyone that trusts Christ as their Savior, at some point in the very near future after that takes place, they have a desire to live holy. There's something inside of them that wasn't there before. And there is a, there is a, a gift that God gives us here of causing us to be chosen by Him to be holy and without blame before Him in love. And uh, it's, it, is, it is not an obligation. It is not a burden. In fact, the Bible tells us, and Paul wrote this, he said, the commands of God are not grievous. The, the, the weight of living holy is not a burden to a Christian. But it is a gift of God. It is a privilege that He has given to us. To live holy. To put an appetite and a, and a hunger and a thirst to live rightly and to live godly in Christ Jesus. This is something that He's put in the heart of a Christian and those that have trusted Him as Savior. I think sometimes we think of holiness as some dreaded burden that we have to labor and really strive for. Can I tell you this? It ought to be something we rest in and enjoy the, the fact that God has given us a desire for holiness. And it ought not be something that we have to struggle and, and battle with all the time. It ought to be something that we love and that we cherish in our lives. I feel, I feel uh, terrible that it's, it's, it's so often that I feel like as a pastor we have to preach on standards and holiness, and we really shouldn't have to. I know we do because of the, the world we live in, the, the temptations that come our way, and the weakness of our own flesh. I know we have to because of that, but God has given us a, a, an appetite, a, a desire, and the fact the Bible tells us here, that He chose us even before the foundation of the world. That we were to live holy. That there was to be a life of holiness given to us. And it is something that He gives to us 
when we get saved, a desire to do those things that are right. Look with me in verse number 6. The Bible says, To the praise and glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. We are... Uh, 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 we are uh, did I get the right one? I'm sorry. Oh, there we go. I'm sorry. Verse number 7. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Verse number 5. I had the wrong one down. Verse number 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. We've been adopted into God's family. We are now a child of the King. We are, we are part of God's family by way of adoption. Uh, I'm thankful uh, that not only are we born again and made new, but we're adopted into His family as far as our, our heirship and the fact that we, uh, all the things that are at God's disposal are at our disposal. Uh, his power, His might, we have access to God uh, and can come to Him anytime we want to and pray to Him and spend time with Him. And uh, He has adopted us as children. We are part of God's family. Verse number 7, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of His grace." We have been redeemed from sin, and not only for the sense of uh, saving us from the penalty of sin, but we've been redeemed from the power of sin. The power of sin. The Bible teaches us in the book of Romans, chapter number 6, that, that we are no longer... Uh, sin no more reigns in our mortal body. It doesn't have the hold over us that it used to. In fact, the Bible tells us now that God has, with that temptation, made a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. And He's given us the ability to be redeemed not just from the, the effects of sin, the penalty of sin, but literally from sin itself. We do not have to sin. He's given us the ability and the strength, and He made it accessible to us, to be able to forsake that sin and to be able to uh, uh, flee that sin and to have a way of escape uh, during those times of uh, temptation. He has made that available to us. And we're the ones that choose willingly to sin when we do it because God has made it possible for us to forego that sin and to not do that sin. And so again, this is something that is a gift that God gives to us at the moment of salvation. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of His grace. Notice also, he says in verse number 11 of chapter 1, "...in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will." And so we have an inheritance in Him. We have an inheritance in Him. The Bible teaches us that one of these days we will stand before God, we'll give an account, we'll stand judged for what we have done in our bodies since the day that we've gotten saved. And that there will be rewards that are given. Uh, there will be crowns that will be given. Uh, there, there's an inheritance that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, then also in verse number 12, it says this, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Uh, we've been given hope in Him. We've been given hope in Him. Look in verse number uh, 13, in whom also you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So we have, uh, we are sealed in Him. We are eternally secure. We are eternally secure. Now in chapter 2, let's look in verse number 5. Chapter 2 and verse number 5. He says, But God, who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. 
by grace you're saved. We've been made alive. That part of us that was dead in our trespasses and sin has been made alive the moment we get saved. That means that there is something new inside of us that didn't used to be there. And we call it the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We call it the new man. Uh, these things that begin to give us an appetite for the things of God and a desire for Him. In verse 13, we find that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Once again, or I'm sorry, I'm, we already did that one. I'm sorry. Verse number 6 of chapter 2. Verse number 6 of chapter 2 says, And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And so we are brought near to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we are brought near by way of fellowship, being able to be in heavenly places, to sit in heavenly places and commune with God, have a relationship with God. Um, verse number 13 of chapter 2. Now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Made nigh by the blood of Christ. We're brought near to Him by His blood. Verse 21, and are built upon the foundation of the, I'm sorry, in, in verse number 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Groweth in Christ. So we get the opportunity to grow in Christ. He gives us this ability. Chapter 3 and verse number 6. Chapter 3 and verse number 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the gospel. We've been able as Gentiles to become a partaker of the promise of Christ, not just the Jews. So again, we are a prom we've been given uh, the opportunity to be partakers of the promise of Christ uh, that is in Christ and are made part of the same body as those of the Jews. Verse number 12 in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith in Him. So we have access to Him. We have access to Him. So a number of these things that Paul is reminding the church, when you get saved, these are all the benefits that we gain as a Christian. And having established uh, all the things that are gained, and, and we've only done, we haven't done all of them here, we've just given you a, a smattering of, of the ones that are found in chapters 1 through 3, of the things that we have in Christ. When we get saved, there's so many things. We have the adoption. We have uh, the ability to draw nigh to Him, to come near to Him. Uh, we have the promises that, that the Jews have uh, because of the fact that we are found in Him. There's so many things that are given here. And uh, with regards to salvation and living our life on this side of heaven. And having established all of these things that, that Christ does for them at the moment of salvation... He then tells them in verse chapter 4, if you'll turn over there in verse number 1, chapter 4 and verse number 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. In other words, because Christ has done all of these things for us through salvation, then walk worthy of that. And now he switches gears and he goes from teaching what God has done for us the victory that He gives us by, uh, by saving us, uh, not, just, not just the penalty of sin and gaining heaven, but the things that He's given to us this side of heaven. That we get the opportunity to, to talk directly to Him and have access to Him. The fact that we are able to escape and have victory over sin this side of heaven. 
that we can have a way of escape. The fact that He's given us the power to have uh, the same uh, inheritance and the same promises that are given to those that are part of His family. And the fact that we have His strength and His might and His power given to us. He talks about all of these things in chapter 3. He says, Therefore, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as we are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us, I want you to notice verse 7, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now he that ascendeth, what is it but that he that also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. We talked a little bit about this in, chapter, in Sunday school today in chapter 4. Now, as we come down to verse number 24. In fact, let's back up to uh, verse number 20. Chapter 4, verse number 20. In light of all of the things that God gives to us as a part of our salvation, He makes this statement. Uh, verse number 20, uh, He says, But ye have not so learned Christ, speaking of those who are past feeling and giving themselves over to lasciviousness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard of Him, or heard Him, and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful us. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye may, and that ye may put on the new man, which is after God, after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So follow with me. God gives us His blessing of salvation, which includes all these things He spoke about in chapter three, chapters one to three, and He, he then concludes that by saying, because of that, walk worthy of that vocation, and live in such a way that you put off the old man and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and begin to walk after righteousness and true holiness. So he's given them some instructions here. He's going to go through a lot of practical things. We're not going to go through all of them. I'll give you a few of them. But he's going to give some very practical things. And these practical things are to be based on what God has done for us through salvation. Blessing that God has given should dictate the behavior that we live our life by. So as we get to verse number 25, it says this, Wherefore, in other words, because God has given this opportunity for us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, to put off the former conversation of the old man. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And that's pretty amazing because, uh, you know, this is probably one of the biggest uh, and most needful things in the day that we live is the issue of integrity. Integrity. It's amazing how many people... Uh, are not men or women of integrity. And yet, these things ought to be the way we live. These ought to be the, some of the practical things we, we endeavor to pursue after. Because God has given us so much through our salvation, we ought to be willing to live this way. Notice he says in verse number 26, and this is a verse that so often is misunderstood. It says, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And oftentimes we read that as, we're not supposed to be angry once the sun goes down, so make sure you get everything right before the day's over. And, um, 
and uh, don't let the don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And so you need to get that right. That is not what this verse is saying. In fact, he's dealing here uh, with uh, verse number within the context with uh, putting off the old man and uh, having a renewed mind. And he says he starts off by saying, uh, "Put off or put away lying and speak every man the truth in love." He's going to say in verse number 27, Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. Uh, verse number 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of the mouth. Verse number 30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Verse number 31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And so he deals with a whole plethora of sin here. And what he's saying in verse number 26 is not that we're not supposed to be angry and we're supposed to make things right with our spouse or our neighbor or our friend before the sun goes down. That is not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying that we are to be angry. Wait a minute. What do you mean be angry? We are to be angry at our sin. These things that, that, that we're to put off, we are to be angry at them. He says, be ye angry. And you say, how do you know that? Because he tells us, be angry. And sin not. Don't, don't, don't do the sin. Be angry at it. Get upset about it. And when he makes the statement, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath, he's saying don't let that wrath wane. Don't let it get lighter and lighter. Don't, don't let it go away. Don't lose the sinfulness of sin. Be angry about it. You say, how do you know that's within the context? Because the very next verse says, neither give place to the devil. We're to be angry about these things. We're to, we're, to, we're to say, I hate sin. I excuse sin. I can't stand sin. And I hope I don't ever get to the place where it, sin becomes acceptable to me. I don't want the sun to go down on my wrath against sin. I want to make sure that it's stirred up all the time. Why? Because of what God has done for me through salvation. When I look at what God has done for me, why should I not hate the sin of my old man? Why should I not be trying to put him off with, the, with a, a spirit of anger and a spirit of wrath toward him? He says, neither give place to the devil. And then notice he says this, verse 28, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands that thing which is good that he may give to him that needeth. Verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace under the hearers. Boy, that'd be a great verse for a lot of Christians to learn, wouldn't it? Because we're not necessarily speaking here of sinful communication as much as we are hurtful. What proceeds out of our mouth ought to be used for the edifying in that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Years ago, in our school, one of our teachers would have, elementary teachers would have these kids run up to her and this teacher, little Johnny over there, he's he just he just touched the little bug on the on the root of that tree over there, and they're trying to tattle and get him in trouble. And the teacher came up with a policy, and she said she started teaching her kids this. She said, "Before you come and talk to me about it, I want you to ask three questions. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it necessary? And number three, is it kind?" And if it cannot pass all three of those, don't say it. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? I think that's a lot of what Paul's dealing with here. He says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. There's sometimes people say, Well, uh, I know I said that about so-and-so, but it was true. 
Well, did it minister grace? Was there any point in your conversation that your conversation was going to help the situation in some way? These are things Paul tells us. Listen, God's given you so much through salvation. Let's live according worthy of the vocation wherewith we're called. These are some of the things that he's wanting us to live by. Number 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Should do things that are going to grieve the Holy Spirit. Number 31, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. In other words, here again, we're told to put them away with malice. Be angry at those things. Don't like them. Detest them. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Once again, he brings the blessing of God into remembrance, saying your behavior ought to be dictated by the blessings that God has given to you, the recognition of those blessings. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath offered himself for us an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. The fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. This should not characterize somebody who names the name of Christ. We're to walk in the new man. We're to walk after the Spirit. Put off the conversation of the old man. The lifestyle that we used to live. Why? Paul, what gives you the right to instruct us in such, such obtrusive and, and pointed ways? If he lived in modern times, we'd say, Paul, you're stepping on my toes. You're, dealing, you're meddling with things that, 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 are, that are personal issues. What gives you the right? If Paul were to stand here today, I believe he would tell you this. He'd say, I have no right. But God, who is rich in mercy, the one that gave us all these things when we got saved, He wants you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And God has every right. God has every right to dictate to you and I how we're to live. You say, what gives Him the right? Well, number one, He created you. Number two, He owns you by way of creation, by the way. But as if that wasn't enough, when you took yourself and gave yourself over to Satan, He bought you back a second time. And He purchased you with His own blood. God has every right to tell us how we're to live. And I'll tell you, if we would ever get to the place where we could live with the mindset of all that God gives to us, that is included with our salvation. He gives us victory. He gives us direct access to Him. He gives us a way of escape during temptation. He gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us and to give us direction in our life. All of these things that He gives to us, in addition to what He's already done for us through salvation, why would that not dictate our behavior? Why would we not, with hearts full of gratitude, Say, Lord, I want to live this way not because you tell me I have to, but I want to live this way because of all that you've done for me. Just to show how much I love you and I appreciate all that you've done for me. Why would we not want to live that way? He tells them in verse number 5, be therefore, chapter 5, verse 1, be therefore followers of God as dear children. I'm going to end with this. I, I think this phrase is very interesting. He says, be followers of God as dear children. And then he waits an entire chapter until he gets to the place where he talks about how a child's relationship is. 
But look with me in chapter 6 and verse number 1. If we're to follow God as dear children, how do dear children follow? Well, let's see what it says here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We are to obey God no matter what. You say, well, what is God going to do for me if I obey Him? He doesn't have to do anything for you. It's just right. By the way, as a parent, you don't bribe your kids to do what's right. If they do it of their own free will and their own accord and they show their heart to you, you might, you might reward that, but that's called honoring. You don't reward obedience. You reward the heart condition. Notice what he says here in verse number 2. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with what? Promise. The promise didn't come with the obedience. The promise came with the honor. Big difference. Big difference. And Paul tells us we're to follow God as dear children. Obey no matter what. But oh, how great it is, how wonderful it is, the joy that there is when we recognize what God has done for us and we obey not because we have to, but because we love Him so much. We honor Him because of what He's done for us. There's where the promise comes in. He says that thy days may be, or that it may be wealthy and thou mayest live long on the earth. Wonderful book. I love the book of Ephesians. Paul says, church at Ephesus, I want you to know something. I want you to know that God didn't just deliver you from the penalty of sin and give you the grace of salvation that gives you the home in heaven for all of eternity. That's not all that happened at salvation. God has given you so much more. He's adopted you into His family. He gives you access. He gives you His Holy Spirit to guide and direct your steps. He gives you the power. He gives you a way of escape. He allows you to sit in heavenly places, this side of heaven sometimes. And because of all of these things, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Does Paul have an argument to make here? Oh, easily. Easily. When we consider all that God has done for us, how in the world can we not give our best to Him? Years ago, my dad learned a song in Sunday school when he was a kid, and he used to sing it every once in a while. And the verse or the words were this, After all He's done for me, after all He's done for me, how can I do less than give Him my best? And live for Him completely after all He's done for me. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. If you can obey for no other reason than because it's right, then at least obey. But oh, that we could recognize what God has done for us. And out of a sense of absolute gratitude and love for Him, say, Lord, I don't just have to obey and do what You say. I want to. I long to do it. I have a hunger and a thirst to live holy and righteous because of the blessings that you've shown to me. And I think a wonderful lesson is taught in the book of Ephesians in this area. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we are so grateful and thankful for your word, how it guides and directs our steps. And I pray that you would help us to gain something from the words that we've read and spoken about here today that we would learn to a 